I go against Cobra, the enemy, fighting to save the day. He never gets up, he's always there, fighting for freedom over land and air. Welcome to Star Joe's special subscribers 100 episode. Well, actually, 100 subscribers. 100 subscribers. We're not on episode 100 yet. Not yet. But, but yeah, this is the special uh, that we promised you guys. This is part one. Yeah, thank you guys. We finally got over 100 subscribers, so we promised you something special. And what we're going to do here is we're going to do the top 50, in our opinion, Star Wars characters and G.I. Joe characters, totaling 100. 100. I'll take the G.I. Joes. Ryan's going to handle the Star Wars characters. And again, these are mostly based on our opinion. For me, about 75 to 80% of where a character placed was based on if I liked them or not, or where I liked them, and the rest was, if they moved up or down on that list, was based on their impact on the Star Wars universe. So, yeah, Mine went a little different. I based mine on the G.I. Joe comic books, the Sunbow cartoon series, not the D.I.C. cartoon series, because that sucked, and the action figure itself. Okay. Whether it was a good-looking action figure, a bad action figure, and also my personal preference. Yeah. So a lot had to do with my list here. And with mine, I, I actually drew from everything Star Wars. So I, I drew from video games, comic books, uh, books, uh, the movies, of course. Sure, sure. Uh, I have to draw from the movies. Well, yeah, the G.I. Joe animated movie, that came yeah. into play a lot, too. So uh, I didn't base it on if I liked the action figure or not, but I will let you know if there's an action figure based on the character. Okay. Um, and most of mine had action figures, surprisingly. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we'll go that, ahead and jump. Yeah, we'll jump right in here. We're uh, going to start with number and, 50 down. Yeah, we're going to work backwards. So this is part one. We're going to go from number 50 to number 26. And then part one will be 25, 25 to, one. to 1. So Right. Uh, so, Chuck, why don't you go ahead and start with your number 50 All right, number for 50 G. for G.I. Joe. I have uh, the character Lowlight. was a 1986 character release. He's the night spotter for the Joes. And he was actually part of Slaughter's Marauders as well. So re-released different paint applications for that figure. And if you're looking to get that figure mint on card, it'll cost you between 60 to $75. And if you have him loose with all his weapons and accessories and file card, he goes for about 10 to $12. I, and I loved Lowlight. I, I, there was just something about his look and everything else. He wasn't used a whole lot. Well, a very rarely used character. That's why he made 50. Yeah, so uh, my number 50 was uh, Dash Rendar. Oh, Dash. And you're probably fairly familiar with him, Chuck. Yeah, he, he was his, Shadows. Yeah, his first appearance was Shadows of the Empire novel. Uh, this story took place between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Uh, he's a Han Solo-type smuggler who acts primarily as a replacement for Han Solo, because if you remember during that time period... Han Solo's in Carbonite. Mm-hmm. Uh, his ship is called the Outrider, and it's kind of similar in look to the Millennium Falcon. Uh, and he appears he actually appears taking off from the most Eisley spaceport in A New Hope, the special edition. They actually insert it in there. That's how much of an impact Shadows of the Empire had on the Star Wars universe. Nice. Uh, he's a Karelian smuggler, so just like Han just Solo. Like Han Solo, yeah. Uh, he knew both Han and Lando. Uh, he grew up with a, a privileged childhood since his family owned a large and respected shipping uh, company. Uh, he was an ace student at the Imperial Academy, but his brother died in a routine takeoff and crashed into a private museum owned by Palpatine. Uh, because of the loss, Palpatine banished the Rendar family and gave the shipping holdings to the uh, Zizor transport system, which was run by Prince Zizor, who was the head of the Black Suns. Mm-hmm. Uh, he tried to remain neutral uh, during the whole uh, civil war that was going on, 
but found himself uh, trapped on Hoth doing a food shipment during the Empire's attack. So he actually was on Hoth, and he manned a snowspeeder and helped delay the Empire. Okay. Uh, as a favor to Lando, he helped in the search for Han. He followed IG-88 and Boba Fett in his attempts to help. Dash later helped Luke and Lando infiltrate Prince Zizor's palace on Coruscant. And in the space battle that ensued over the Imperial uh, capital, Dash's outrider appeared to sustain critical damage from exploding ship, uh, space debris. It was actually a trick of perspective and timing, however. Dash escaped and uh, apparently has decided to live a life, uh, live his life out without being involved with the Rebels anymore. Okay. There was actually a figure made of him, too, in the Power yes. of the Force release. Yes, uh, they did, and I actually have that figure. I do, too. Um, that's, that's kind of the reason he's here, is because I just remember him being a character. And the reason why I'm giving a little bit more background with some of these characters is some of them especially are very obscure. You might not know them, so the more obscure you'll get a little bit of a background on And I want to give an idea of why they were important to the universe sure. as well. So, right, Number 49, uh, for the G.I. Joes, I have Outback, uh, released in 1987. He's a survivalist. He was also part of the Night Force, which they were repainted uh, black and gray. So if you want to get this figure mint on card, it's going to cost you 42 to $60. It's a little bit more of a popular character, I guess. And also, if you have this character uh, loose with all his accessories, he's going between 8 to $10. Huh. My number 49 was Proxy. His first appearance was in Star Wars The Force Unleashed video game. And yes, I realized that the novel came out before the video game, but really it was because of the video game that the novel came out. He's actually the Secret Apprentice's droid sidekick. Yeah. His main conflict that he has with his programming is he's programmed to kill the Secret Apprentice, but also to help improve his skills. So he thinks he's helping the apprentice by trying to kill him. Yeah, okay. He he's kind of a dark comic relief in the game and he thinks it pleases his master that he's trying to kill him. <laughs> uh, to avoid him appearing too deadly but also avoid being too much like C3PO, the developers focused on his friendly naivety. They delivered messages uh, he delivered messages from Darth Vader to the secret apprentice by creating a hologram of hologram of Darth Vader to deliver the message. The last battle against Proxy, Proxy takes on the hologram and skills of Darth Maul for the Secret Apprentice to take on. Oh, okay. So kind of neat there. That's number 49. Uh, number 48 for the G.I. Joes, I have Tunnel Rat. Love Tunnel I Rat. I love Tunnel Rat. It's a favorite character of yours there. Uh, released in 1987, also the same year as Outback. He's the uh, EOD, which is Explosive Ordnance Disposal character there. Also a part of Night Force 2 along with Outback. Tunnel Rat appeared in the G.I. Joe movie. That was his only yes. cartoon appearance. Okay. That was the uh, 87 G.I. Joe the movie. Mint on card, if you want to pick this figure up, you're looking between 60 to $80. And if you have him loose with all his accessories, he's about 6 to 10 My number 48 was Dirge. Dirge first appeared in Star Wars Republic number 51, the comic book. Uh, he's a bounty hunter whose look in, uh, was designed by the Skywalker Ranch Art Department. Uh, he was developed for the Clone Wars Multimedia Project to become the fierce new bounty hunter villain to follow in Jango Fett's footsteps. Oh, okay. He's actually in that cartoon snippets that Cartoon Network did. His alien, he, and obviously he also appears in the comics as well, but his alien physiology came as an answer to how he could battle Jedi and not just be cut down. Okay. Because he can actually regenerate. They also wanted to know if, if he was uh, so powerful why he wasn't used for the clone arm army instead of Django, so they wanted to try to answer that. Uh, so his scattered nervous system and regenerability helped him with the first problem, 
which was, you know, why he couldn't be cut down. And his extended hibernation trance to help him heal helped with the second problem of why he wasn't why using it. Yeah. So uh, a bounty hunter with no guild allegiance and answers uh, to no benefactor, he hunted for the pure sport of it. His species is Jendai. 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 Uh, rare species with an unusually long lifespan. Some have lived for over 4,000 years. Uh, they have a vascular system that pumps blood, so there's no need for a heart. Uh, after too many injuries, they enter extended periods of hibernation where they can heal wounds. Dirge was born 2,000 years before the fall of the Republic. Mm. Uh, he studied for centuries under the most experienced and dangerous bounty hunters. After a millennium uh, before the Battle of Naboo, he was in the employ of one of the last Sith in the galaxy. He battled many Jedi and learned their fighting style. Uh, 900 years later, he was hired to kill the leader of the Mandalorians. He succeeded, but he had a lot of injuries. He awoke from healing to a time of the Galactic War and was recruited by Count Dooku. He worked along with Asajj Ventress, and he faced the Republic Army with an army of robots that was ultimately bested by Obi-Wan. Oh, okay. So. Taking us to number 47, what I have is uh, Zorana. Nice. Right, which is released in 1986, uh, figure-wise. It is Zartan's sister. And basically, the Zartan's sister, same color-changing ability as Zartan does right. turn blue. Figure-wise... We had two releases of this figure in the same year. She came with two different heads. One of the heads had earrings on and one without. Now, the one with the earrings is the earlier release and the more valuable one. Okay. Uh, if you remember, she had the pink mohawk yep. with the figure there. Now, if you're looking to get the one with the earrings mint on card, you're looking at about 55 to $65. dollars uh, loose figure with all the accessories, you're looking at about 10 to 14 okay. Now, the later release one without the earrings... You're looking at mint on card about thirty-five to forty dollars if you want to pick that one up, and if it loose on that figure is about six to eight dollars. Okay, I remember an episode with her where she was disguised just like her uh, brother would do, and yeah, they disguised. A and lot yeah, stuff. and she came out like blonde, and she had a uh, bikini on, and all the dreadnoughts were like, "Ooh, how you doing, love?" and everything else, and all of a sudden she hands them the wig and beats the crap out of them. Right. They're like, oh, we didn't know it was you. That was in the G.I. Joe movie, yeah. Yeah. Actually, a special uh, nod to this figure, too. I actually remember getting this figure in my Easter basket one year as a child. Nice, nice. It was either 86, I guess, or 87 when the figure came out. It probably was when the figure came out. Very nice. Now, uh, actually, one thing before I go into my number 47, with Dirge, I did forget to mention, there is an action figure of him. There was not an action figure of Proxy, (laughs) but there is an action figure of Dirge. That comes with a comic two-pack. Okay. So, uh, my number 47 was Aura Singh. Mm. Her first appearance is the Phantom Menace. I believe they did make a figure of her. I don't have that figure, but I know that they made a Force Unleashed version of her, which is more of like a statue version. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was designed by Doug Chang in a sketch labeled Babe Fett. Nice. So, uh, she uh, was played by Mishan Baragyu. So, going to our international lovers yeah. out there. And uh, she's first seen at the Bunta Eve Classic Pod Race. Uh, she's a humanoid alien with unknown with unknown species. She has chalk white skin and a long bootlegging finger, so she can really slash you. Sounds hot. Yeah. Uh, attached to her skull is a long, thin sensor implant, which was attached by the Anzadi, that aids, in, in, uh, aids her in hunts by increasing her situational awareness and transmits a simulated sensation of fear, which is what the Anzadi race feeds upon. Ah. 
she is force force sensitive, and she grew up on the streets of Narshada, which, if you can imagine, is kind of like Gotham. Okay. So it's not a good place. Uh, mysterious Jedi woman, Dark Lady, took her into custody and uh, was going to train her in Jedi training, but then she was kidnapped by pirates. Pirates told her lies about the Jedi, but she believed them. Uh, so she eventually became a bounty hunter. Uh, she never actually reached the level of even Padawan, but she still had a little bit of force abilities. She uh, hunts. She specialized in hunting down Jedi. Uh, and she would keep their lightsabers, and she actually created her own scarlet-bladed Jedi weapon. She was bested in the end by Je- uh, Jedi Ayla Sakura, who uh, did not take her life, but scarred her with her blade and severed her antenna. Wow. She appeared again 40 years later, after the Battle of Yavin, uh, to try to assassinate a queen, but was stopped by Jason Solo, which is one of the kids of Han, Han and Leia. Leia. Right. Right, moving on to number 46, uh, I have uh, one of Ryan's personal favorite characters here, uh, Bazooka. Oh, I don't like Bazooka. <laughs> you remember him? He was the uh, comic relief on the G.I. Joe yeah. series of Sunbowie. With a bazooka. With a bazooka, yeah. yeah. It was the red with the number 14 comic, on the jersey. Yeah, yeah, comic relief should never happen with a bazooka. <laughs> He's the missile, missile specialist, uh, released in 1985. They also did a release of this figure, something called Tiger Force, which was, uh, they had different colors, and they were painted with little tiger stripes on their uniforms. So okay. He was part of Tiger Force. And if you're looking to pick up Bazooka here, mint on card, you're looking at about 75 to to $100, and loose about 10 to $12. And a lot of people remember Bazooka from the cartoons with his little buddy Alpine. So. Right. And his uh, jersey actually appears in the Rise of Cobra. Rise of Cobra, yeah. A little Easter egg for you there. Yeah. Uh, my number 46 was Cad Bane. Okay. Which is his first appearance is in the finale of season one of the Clone Wars animated series, which is going on now. It's called Hostage Crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a ruthless bounty hunter from the planet Duro. Uh, if you remember in the Cantina scenes, there was a couple Duro, uh, Duronians, Duronians or whatever yeah. you want to call them. He's their species. Uh, he was the preeminent bounty hunter for hire during the Clone Wars because Jango Fett wasn't around anymore. Right. Originally, when he when creating the Clone Wars animated series, having third-party villains was actually off the table. They weren't going to do that. Uh, but as they got near the end of the season, there came a role where it was needed to have a bounty hunter. They thought about bringing in the bounty hunter Dirge. After several directions to try to take a, make a, uh, use a character like that, Lucas decided to go in a different route and wanted to create a character that was more like an old spaghetti western. Yeah, because um, he did look a lot like Clint Eastwood. Oh, yeah. The outlaw Josie Wales. Very much so. He was voiced by Corey Burton. Uh, in developing Bane, supervising director Dave Filoni came across an unlabeled concept illustration from the original Star Wars trilogy uh-huh. of a gun-toting spacer with a wide-brimmed hat. So they went all the way back and came across this like as if Lucas already had this character in mind. Yeah. He owns a butler droid named Toto 360. So prominent is Cad Bane and his predatory ilk in uh, Season 2 of The Clone Wars that the series title was expanded with the subheading of The Rise of the Bounty Hunters. Ah. And he is a figure. I have the figure. You can right. find him not too difficult in no, the stores right yeah, now. Yeah, it's kind of easy to find now. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's Cad Bane. All right, moving on to number 45. I have For the G.I. Joes, I have Deep Six. Nice. Uh, Deep Six was released in 1984 with the shark vehicle. He was the shark driver, uh, which was the flying submarine kind of vehicle they had. You can make that, right? Well, sure, you need that. you got to <laughs> get out of the water somehow. You I see so many flying submersible out. vehicles out nowadays. It's ridiculous. You're tripping over it. I know. Uh, if you want to get the whole entire shark uh, vehicle in the box, you know, you're looking at about 275 to 350 for wow. a good condition one. 
Yeah. Uh, and the shark actually stands for submersible, uh, submersible high-speed attack and reconnaissance craft. So that's mouthful. It is. I'll go with shark. Go with shark. Now, Deep Six was a, a character that really didn't speak a lot in the comics. He was kind of a loner, kind of to himself, and it put a lot of the GI Joe characters off in the comics that way. Not really used a lot in the cartoon, but he was there. I uh, he again very put off, standish, like things to be quiet. As a figure, you'll notice he was one of the more awkward figures because only his arms moved because he was in his diving suit. Yeah, he was kind of a weird figure. Yeah, he had a little... Everything, he looked human except the head was human and everything else was diving suit. He had a little bubble over top of his head so you couldn't even rotate his head. The only articulation he's had was his arms did a 360 and that was it. If you're looking for just the, uh, the figure with the shark itself loose and the figure actually had a little uh, pump and a little tube with it where he could, like, bob up and down in the water. Uh, that's about 40 to 45 bucks. Uh, just the figure itself, you're looking at a, about, without the accessories, about 12 to 15 yeah. And I don't know if he ever appeared even in the cartoon without his... Shark vehicle. Sh- well, his, suit. his suit on. Uh, yeah. I know he appeared without the actual bubble helmet on him, but I don't yeah, know if I ever saw... Yeah, in the comics he did, but yeah. in the cartoon, you rem- I remember a lot of just him in the shark with the suit on. Right. But yeah, definitely uh, one of the older characters going back to 1984, but uh, definitely a good one. Gotcha. Uh, my number 45 was uh, Talon Card. His first appearance was as an heir to the Empire novel by Timothy Zahn, one of my favorites as far as novels. Uh, obviously one of my favorite characters. Uh, for the Star Wars customizable card game, Zahn was used as the model. He was being uh, made up and posed as Card. So he actually looked like the character. He's a stark contrast to Jabba. Uh, He's a sophisticated, shrewd, and skillful smuggler chief uh, and rose to prominence after the fall of the Empire. Uh, His passion is in gathering information. After Jabba's demise, Card organization grew to be the largest smuggling group in the galaxy. Card recruited a woman named Selena Marnus and started uh, grooming her to be his second-in-command. Selena was actually Mara Jade, and that name should be pretty familiar to Star Wars fans. Right. The She was the Emperor's Hand. Uh, base of operations was on a planet called Merker. Again, I'm having to deal with funky names. Here's another fun one, which is the planet where the Islamiri come from, which are salamander-like creatures that push back the Force, creating areas where the Force can't be used. Uh, Card let the Imperials harvest the Islamiri, uh, while still figuring out uh, their, what their plan might be, he had found Luke Skywalker, and after uh, after Luke had crashed on Merker, and thought about turning him in, but decided not to, and that made Grand Admiral Thrawn pissed off. He decided to uh, make life difficult for Card, so Card had to leave Merker, and Card was actually instrumental in many battles for the New Republic in defeating Thrawn. Uh, though he originally wished he had remained neutral. And there is a figure of him. There is him. a figure, huh? Uh, it's a two-pack. Okay. Uh, again, in the comic two-pack. So there is a figure of him, though. Pretty easy to find nowadays? Uh, pretty easy to find. I, I wouldn't say it's too difficult. I've seen him quite a few times. Okay. So I don't think he's a very popular figure to collect, but definitely a popular character of mine and I think of many people. All right. Moving on to number 44, I have uh, Quick Cake. Nice. I know. Not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, released in 1985... Uh, Figure-wise, he's the silent weapons guy for the group here. Does that mean he farts a lot? I guess. Or he's just really quiet with his nunchucks and sword. He needs to be quiet because he's got no armor. (laughs) Yeah, Quick Kick was an unusual figure release where he was uh, barefoot, which was the only Joe that was ever done barefoot. There's a reason for that. Yeah. (laughs) 
yeah, kicks people. And he was released with uh, bare chest, and he just has a little sash on that carries some Chinese throwing stars. He did have a lot of uh, use in the uh, Sunbow cartoons. Yeah, Quick Kick did as well as as well as the GI Joe comic books around issue uh, sixty two. Him Stalker and Snow Job get caught behind enemy lines, so it's a good story, good read. But yeah, if you're looking to pick up Quick Kick uh, Mint on Card, you're looking at about fifty five to seventy dollars. Loose with all the accessories around seven to twelve, and there was also a quick kick that turned up in uh, discount stores, just in the baggie. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how <laughs> that got there, but there was a lot of them. You're looking at me like I knew the answer to that yeah, one, but <laughs> uh, actually, my mother actually picked me up one, and I was this had to be years after because I was already out of uh, school by then, and she picked me up one. Nice, and she just went shopping at one of the outlet stores. That's a good whatever. mom right there. Yeah. So she, we'll shout out the mom there. there you she go. went shopping at one of the outlet stores. She goes, "Hey, I know you like GI Joe as a kid. I, you know, they had this." I was like, "Well, hey, great, thanks." Yeah. My number. Did you have any more for that one? No, it was number okay. forty-four. Quick. Okay, here. number uh, forty-four for me was Roland Dyer. Oh, Roland. Who, yeah, if you had just listened to the last episode, if you remember from last week, you guys heard it. We just heard it a few minutes ago. Roland Dyer. His first appearance was in Knights of the Old Republic comic book number seven. I. Not going to go into great detail because I covered that last time, but I wanted to put a few snippets in that weren't covered in the that I didn't cover in the comic. He's a human Mandalorian crusader. Uh, he deserted the war many times to pursue the reasons behind the war, uh, which is not welcomed by the Mandalorian ways. According to John Jackson Miller, who's the creator of Knights of the Old Republic, uh, the name Roland was partially inspired by the similarly sounding name of another warrior, the Paladin of Charlemagne. So a little bit of history there for you. Nice. So, all right, all right. Moving on to number forty-three. Oh, and there's no, there's no figure. No figure for Roland. No figure for Roland. I wish there was. Soon to be, maybe. He'd be pretty sweet looking. Yeah. Moving on to number forty-three. I actually have the the Crimson Guard Trooper. Okay. The elite trooper dressed in the the crimson color costume. There. Basically released as a figure in 1985. Did appear a lot in the cartoon, a lot in the comic books. Uh, earlier on, actually was uh, recruited by Cobra Commander to be the higher echelon of troopers. They were going to be the uh, the, the accountants, the CEOs, the, uh, the guys who had you know college background and college training were going to be those guys who could blend in with everyday and society and infiltrate stuff. stuff right? Okay. But yeah, uh, so they're the Cobra Elite Troopers. And they actually got another release as part of the Python Patrol, which battled the, the Tiger Force. Okay. So he actually got a re-release on that, but... If you're looking to pick up the Crimson Guard Menton card, you're looking at about $105 to $140 because people like to troop build. Sure. And if you're looking to pick them up loose, it's still going to be kind of pricey as a loose figure, $15 to $20. Okay. Because people, it's a highly collectible one because people like to troop build. Yeah. And with him being a generic soldier guy, you can get hundreds of them. Uh, also, not at that price, I can't. Not at that price, no. <laughs> also, uh, the commanders, you know, the Crimson Guard were... Tomax and Zaymont, so I guess they took their direct orders from those guys. Very nice. Uh, my number 43 was Plo Koon. His first appearance was in the Phantom Menace movie, and again, I know the book came out first, the novel came out first, but come on. The movie, that's why the book came out. Right. Uh, the name came from Episode 1's uh, live-action uh, creature effects supervisor Nick Dudman. Uh, and this kind of funny and stupid all at the same time where this came from. He said, I decided to call one of the Jedi's Plon Kuhn because we called my son that during the first year of his life. I wrote down Plon Kuhn, George Lucas crossed it out, or crossed out the N, 
and Plo Koon was born. Wow. Why he was calling his son Plan Koon? I, maybe a listener, I didn't bother to look it up, but maybe Plan Koon means something. Maybe it means something. I'm sure yeah. it must, otherwise where the hell did you come well, up with that name? It means something to him. Right. He was part of the Jedi Council of Twelve. Uh, he's a descendant of a long line of Jedis. He was close with Qui-Gon Jinn until Qui-Gon Jinn bit okay. it. Okay. Yeah. He's a uh, Keldor species from the planet Dorin. Okay. Uh, due to his physiology, he wears protect- protective goggles and a face concealing anti-ox mask whenever he's in an oxygen-rich environment. So, anti-ox, oxygen, oxygen yeah. there you go. Naturally possesses high, highly developed extrasensory organs and can survive the vacuum of space for brief periods. Oh, wow. Keldors tend to see issues in black and white with clear right and wrong. He is who discovered Ahsoka Tano and brought her to the temple. So if you know the Clone Wars cartoon right. animated series right now, Ahsoka Tano is a big factor in there. He's the one that discovered her. So if you like her, he you can thank him. If yeah. you don't like her, you can you blame, blame him. him. Yeah. So. All right. Any figures of him? Uh, there is several figures of him. Okay. They, they actually did a version of him of how he looks in the movie, and they recently did a version of him of how he looks in the cartoon. Okay, great. Go ahead and pick those up. Yeah. Moving on to number 42, uh, we have Bazooka's buddy Alpine. Now, I like Alpine. I like Alpine. I don't like Bazooka. Alpine, also released in 1985, is the Mountain Trooper, and they buddied up together a lot in the cartoons. Alpine was always the, uh, the yodeler of the group. He was the... Uh, the smart, wise-cracking guy. So I always had something good to say. He's also the name they should have used for Marlon Wayans in the movie. Yeah, either Alpine. Alpine would have worked. Yeah, Alpine would have worked, right? Because he's a personality-wise, yeah. Sure, sure. But he didn't fly. That's okay. Okay. We Marlon Wayans flew in that movie. We could change the script. Okay. <laughs> if you're looking to pick Alpine up mint on card, you're looking to drop about sixty to seventy-five bucks, and if loose. With his accessories, his mountain climbing gear, with a string attached to it and everything, at uh, twelve to fifteen bucks. So. Pretty easily obtainable figure. And one of my favorite scenes with him is from G.I. Joe the movie, in the intro scene where he takes his little hook and shoots it at a Cobra, a little jet there, climbs aboard and uses his fist to bust oh, right yeah. through the windshield yeah, of the yeah. plane. That's the uh, the drone from the... From the... Uh, Terradrome. Terradrome, right. Yeah, the uh, AVAC AVAC pilot. Wow. Yeah. Dropping some knowledge there. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, because, you know, a human fist could just punch right through a windshield like that. Of a plane, sure. Of a plane, sure. sure. Yeah. Um, my number 42 was a name I've mentioned a little bit earlier, which is Ayla Sakura. Okay. Uh, she first appeared in Star Wars Republic number 19 of the comic book. Uh, Lucas liked the cover uh, painted by John Foster with her on it uh, so much that he requested that she made, be made into a living, breathing Jedi for the film. So she started appearing in episode two and three. So it's all Lucas's fault. That's right. This was a good choice by Lucas, I have yeah, I to like say. It. I like it. ILM production assistant Amy Allen uh, played her in episodes two and three. Oh, I did not know that. So if you are on the staff, I guess you get to sometimes play a character. Uh, she's a Twi'lek species, uh, so she's got the two brain things coming off of her head. Right. Uh, it's from the planet Ryloth. Mm-hmm. On Felution, clone trooper Bly uh, gunned her down when she was distracted by a bird taking flight as part of the Order 66. Yeah. She in the comics she was robbed of her memory by a smuggler while on a mission with Quinlan Voss, her master. Uh, she was kept by the smuggler as a possession. Uh, now that her memory was gone, Quinlan found Ayla, and in a fit of confused rage, Ayla used the Force in an uncontrollable outburst, uh, killing the smuggler. Using intelligence gathered by Quinlan and Ayla, the Jedi Council was able to anticipate a massive separatist attack 
attack on the cloning facilities of Kamino. So you should be familiar with that. that place, yeah. Uh, Ayla piloted a Jedi starfighter in the defense of the storm-shrouded world. And there are figures. There are definitely figures of her. Uh, I don't think I have them, but that's definitely a figure that I want to have. They also did do a Force Unleashed uh, statue of her. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, definitely look for that and pick that up. Moving on to number 41, I have Mainframe. Uh, released in 1986, figure-wise. He's the computer specialist of the group. And also released during that same year, I do believe, there was something called the Special Mission Brazil Pack, where Mainframe was included in that. Nice. Is he Brazilian? No. Okay. <laughs> he waxes. Okay. Uh, Mainframe was... Uh, he's used a lot in the comic books now. The yes. current G.I. Joe comics now. If you listen to the... the Two episodes ago, yeah, uh, when we were covering GI Joe, that. they meant, we mentioned him several times. Right, uh, a lot of in the later Sunbow com, later Sunbow cartoons, Mainframe is a pretty prominent character. He does have a ongoing relationship with Zorana. Maybe, maybe not. You think there's something there because there was one cartoon where she disguised herself and got into the GI Joe headquarters and. They had a little thing going between the both of them, and at the, wah, wah. yeah, and at the yeah. end, they're like looking up at the moon, wishing to maybe smoking a cigarette, yeah, maybe <laughs> wishing that they were on the same side so they can continue the relationship. But mainframe was always one of my favorite action figures growing up because he had uh, he wasn't a loud costume; he was kind of all gray and black, mm-hmm. had a black helmet, and he had his little computer he ran with and stuff like that. So I'm computer right. geeky, so sure, like that guy. You're geeky in general. Right. But, yeah. Number 41. All right. <laughs> they have a figure of him? Or, yeah. Or did you cover that? I, I covered I that. blacked out. I don't... Yeah, a couple That times. was at the beginning, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. I started listening to a story, at the whole Zorana thing. That, that the love interest. I forgot thing. about the figure. Yeah, there was one. So, I'm a romantic kind of guy. Like yeah, you know. So, uh, number 41, Kit Fisto. Oh. Uh, his first appearance. This is kind of a weird first appearance. This is what I was able to find, so... First appearance was Hollow Net News, Volume 531, Number 49. I'll never remember that. <laughs> no, you will not. Uh, what is it's one of many in-universe Hollow Net News issues published shortly before the release of Attack of the Clones. This was this one was released March 28th of 2002. So pick that up. So, so that's where he first appeared. He first uh, developed as a male Sith concept. Okay. Amphibious species Nautilon. His head tentacles contain highly sensitive olfactory receptors, so don't cut one around him. Yeah. Uh, allowing him to detect pheromonal expressions of emotion, so they know how to get it on, they can smell it. Uh, and other changes in the body chemistry. Uh, Sex and candy in the air. That's right. Uh, yeah, baby. <laughs> he perfected uh, difficult force techniques that manipulated the movement of water for defensive and offensive purposes. He was given command of the Mon Calamari campaign, which helped in the Mon Cal's fighting back against uh, force, for, uh, the Separatist force, which was backed by the Quarren. And the Quarren are those squid-faced little right. guys. So. His close uh, friendship and concern for fellow Jedi Ayla Sakura mm-hmm. uh, occasionally pressed against the rules against attachment. Uh-oh. Yeah. Evidently he was smelling something on her. Bam, chicka, bam, wow. uh, They shared a deep respect for one another. Had had they been outside the Jedi Order, perhaps they may have been involved into something else. Ah, and there's it's a little back to back love interest there for right. each of us. And uh, and I I like the uh, the fact that I had Ayla and Kit right. It was not intended, right? Yeah, but they were right there, back against each other. And uh, there's our, definitely figures of Kit Fisto, right? Now for our listeners, we prepared these lists separate from each other. 
neither one of us knows what figure or what character is on each other's list. Right. So, but I know which one should be on Chuck's list, and, and I, I know which one should be on your list. Right. I got a good idea, but we'll we'll yeah. get to that. Uh, moving on to number forty for GI Joe, I actually have uh, the character Scrap Iron, okay. which is a Cobra, and he's the uh, released in nineteen eighty four figure wise, the Cobra Anti Armor Specialist. Honestly, this figure is this character is rarely seldom used. Very oh, yeah. underused. Very underused. He would have been a lot higher on the list if he was used a lot more in either the comics or the cartoon. But the figure itself was great. Two big missiles and our you know rocket launcher thing there. Because you but need was, two big missiles. Well, sure. Yeah. It's better than one. That's right. The nineteen little difference here. The earlier Joes, all up until nineteen eighty four, when Scrap Iron was released, had a a fin on the back of their head so you can move them left and right but not up and down. In 1985, they changed that to a ball joint so you can move the figure's head up and down and left so and right. So Scrap Iron had balls? No, he had a fin. Oh, he had a fin. Okay. <laughs> he had a fin. So the 1984 is... No balls for Scrap Iron. No ball joint for Scrap Iron. Wow. But if you want to pick him up mint on card, you're looking at about 105 to 140 just because it goes back to 1984 and loose with all his accessories, his little rocket launcher, 12 to 15 bucks. Okay. Uh, my number 40 was uh, General Rom Koda. Definitely a lot of Jedis appearing yeah, in the list right now. Yeah, I noticed right you like some good guys or something. Yeah, I got some bad guys too, but uh, General, Rom, General Rom Koda, uh, his first appearance was the Force Unleashed game. Uh, I like that game, do you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like the story that they created for it, okay. and it's been put into Star Wars canon, so okay. they created some fantastic characters in this. He's one of my last characters out of that game. Not the last, but one of the last ones out of the game. These uh, general during the Clone Wars, at age 18, Coda met Mace Windu, ah. uh, who had been dispatched to the planet to end the conflict peacefully. Discovering Coda's Force sensitivity, he took him back to the temple to be trained as a Jedi. He did not feel... Uh, Coda did not feel that clone troopers were fit for battle, and therefore he had his own militia com- uh, comprising of volunteers. This is what allowed him to survive Order 66. There you go. He went into hiding but maintained ties with other survivors. In hopes to draw Vader out uh, into a confrontation, Coda began striking Imperial targets. Vader instead sent his secret apprentice, who beat Coda in battle, and blinded him. So a lot of blind characters in in Star Wars. That's right. Well, Vader didn't do it, the apprentice did. Wow. Uh, But Coda did survive. And with his confidence gone and his connection to the Force seeming to be gone, he turned to drinking. Well, yeah. As you sure, should. Sure. Yeah. He became a total drunk bastard. The typical uh, Iron Man move. That's right. Uh, Coda was approached by the Secret Apprentice again, but this time to be trained by him. Mm-hmm. Coda could sense the light in him instead of the dark side and agreed to help him. Uh, he helped him. He helped make contact with Senator Organa, Senator Mon Mothma, and Senator Garm Iblis, who then formed the Re- the alliance to restore the Republic, the Rebel Alliance. Right. So you can see why I moved him up a little bit on my list. I was right. going to put him pretty low, but he brought those people together right. that caused the Rebel Alliance kind of important. Did he give up the sauce? Uh, he did not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure he did, actually. He's in rehab, um, as we speak. I'm not 100% sure if there was a figure made about him. I think there was, but I have not been able to find it. It's okay. very possible that they did not, though. Uh, moving on to number 39... Uh, I have Wild Weasel, which was actually uh, the Cobra Rattler pilot, uh, mm-hmm. released as a figure in 1984 with the Rattler, right. which was the blue Cobra jet that could take off from a standing position. Yep. Had the flip-down wings, so I actually had that as a child. Lucky. 
I know. It was really good. It was the Cobra version of the Sky Striker at the time. Sure. I like Which one. I, I had the Sky Striker. So. I wanted the Sky Striker. It eluded me. <laughs> I might buy one one day. But yeah, the Wild Weasel was. He would have been a lot higher on my list too if he was more used in the uh, comics and the cartoon. He did have some appearances in the cartoon, but not a lot to push him up higher on the list. Uh, if you're looking to get a mint, you know, Rattler in the box with Wild Weasel, you're looking at about 400 to 450. Sweet. I'll just pull that on my wallet. Yeah, why don't you go ahead online and buy us one? That's right. Uh, if you're looking to just get the figure himself, you're looking at about six to ten bucks. So you can see a large discrepancy there if sure. with the vehicle. Sure. Um, and uh, Wild Weasel Helmet appears in Rise of Cobra movie. It does. As uh, Marlon Wayne's character ejects, I believe, out of the uh, Raven. Yeah, it's uh, either it's either Wild Weasel or a Straddle Viper. It might be a Straddle Viper. Yeah. Let's go back and look at it's, it. It's been a while since it's I've seen a, it. Yeah, it's a helmet. I, I've heard people say it's a Wild Weasel Helmet, so I don't yeah, know. Yeah, we'll let's take a look at it. Yeah. Number 39 for me is the Gamorrean Guards. <sighs> so I, I definitely have some uh, characters that are just generic, but... Yeah. Uh, I love the Gamorrean Guards. Oh, and you were asking piggies. for villains. and you can't, the green piggies. We you love them. You can't uh, deny that Gamorrean Guards are the villains. So their first appearance is Return of the Jedi film. Uh, the original designs of the guards, uh, gave the, uh, they originally gave them gorilla-type faces mm. instead of the pig ones that we're familiar with. I like the pig better. Uh, Joe Johnston later changed the look to resemble the upright boars that we know. Okay. Uh, the original designs had them dressed like gladiators, so right up your alley, Chuck. Well, that's why I like them, I guess. Uh, but based on what could, uh, could be done back then with shirtless creatures, uh, you would have seen the seams too yeah. much. So, uh, so instead they put them in leather and cloth uniforms. I think they do wear loincloths, uh, it looks like it. So that's, again, right up your alley there, Chuck. Loving it. And a little bit of metal to help finish the look. Uh, they're from the planet Gum- uh, Gamor. Sure. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Uh, they maintained a feudal level of technology on the planet and tolerate a remarkable amount of violence in their everyday activities. Yeah, they didn't seem too bright. So th- they love beating <laughs> the shit out of each other. Of course. And if you remember, any time they would deal with each other, they were hitting each other or yeah. whatever in the movie. The females are the productive members of the society... The males, wow. the males spend most of their days training for and fighting wars. So that's all they do. They just beat the shit out of each other. Gamorrean males come in four basic varieties. The first uh, is the warlord, is the most powerful boar of the clan, married to the clan matrons. Mm-hmm. Uh, the greatest warlord of a clan acts as a general to all the war affairs. Clan boars are the married boars, respected due to their wife's income. Wow. Yeah. Uh, household boars or order. yeah, household boars or tuskers are unmarried boars that are hired into a clan. Uh, finally, veterans are retired Gamorians, and they're usually they usually just kind of hang around. Uh, and the reason that they're there is the reason why they're not still fighting is because of maiming injuries or something similar to that. Veterans are typically act typically act as a, advisors to the warlords. Okay, so kind of a neat. Uh, a little bit more than you Back never knew that, about the yeah. Gamorreans there. So. Yeah, and there were figures released of those. There were. I would yeah. love to see a new figure released of them. Yeah, there hasn't been any in a while. That's just uh, the power, power of the force. force. Yeah. yeah. So so that's the Gamorreans. All right, number 38, I have Torpedo. Nice. Which was a release of a figure in 1983. He's actually the Team Seal, which stands for Sea, Air, and Land, if you're not familiar with that. Torpedo was kind of not really... Sel- he's much seldomly used in the cartoon. As well as the comics, he did have a couple of appearances here and there. Uh, but if you're looking to pick up a torpedo, since he did go back to 1983, you're looking at about 185 to 275 on the card, mint on card. 
and loose with the accessories, twelve to fifteen bucks. He was also redid in the twenty fifth anniversary style GI Joe, and as the ROC too. But he's called Deep Six. Ah, but it is torpedo. It's, torpedo. it's the same torpedo character they did in the twenty fifth anniversary. But on the card in the ROC, the Rise of Cobra, they call him Deep Six for some reason. Yeah, because they like to lie in that movie. Yeah, there's a lot of lies in that movie. <laughs> Number uh, 38 for me is Asajj Ventress. Uh, I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce her first name because I don't recall them ever saying her first name in Just the... Ventress. They always say Ventress. Yeah. So uh, her first appearance, uh, this was a hard one for me to track down. And I'm going to have to go back and double check some of my issues. But I trusted what I was finding from some people. They said it was in a, a single issue comic called Jedi Mace Windu. Okay. Uh, and I have that issue. Uh, but they said that's where she first appeared. And like I said, but then I found other things that said differently. So we'll find out. She was developed from an unused concept art for Attack of the Clones. She was one idea in the works before Count Dooku okay. was created. Not officially a Sith apprentice, uh, but was trained in, a light, in lightsaber dueling and force manipulation. She's the secret student of Count Dooku. Uh, she's from Rat Attack, a barbaric world where violent bloodshed is a daily occurrence. Wow. Uh, a Jedi became stranded on the world named Kai Narek. Uh, caught off from the Jedi Council, he trained Asajj, who at this point was orphaned. Uh, they both became heroes, van- vanquishing many warlords on the planet. Eventually, a warlord united the remaining warring tribes and killed Narek before completing Asajj's training. Hmm. Uh, so, since she was filled with rage because this happened, she used her abilities to conquer the rest of the warlords and clawed her way to a position of authority on the planet. Later, Count Dooku came to the planet looking for the world uh, for worlds the Separatists could add to their control, but found something far more v- valuable in Ventress. Oh, okay. And there is lots of figures of her, sure. lots of different versions of her. Right. Again, they did do a uh, Force Unleashed figure of her. That takes us to number 37, and I have Doc at number 37. Doc? Doc, Doc would have been a lot further down the list, you know, into the 40s. If, if he didn't it, keep everyone alive. <laughs> if it hadn't have been for the uh, special mail-away Doc version they did with uh, the 25th anniversary G.I. Joe, you had to save and collect six of those little sticker points that came in the comic two-packs. Mail that in with a couple of bucks here and there, and you got your doc. So it was a harder figure to come by. Very seldomly used as a medic, obviously would be, in the uh, comic books and the uh, cartoon series. But released as a figure originally in 1983, is the team medic, as we said. Uh, mint on card to get an older doc. You're looking about 150 to 200 bucks because it goes back to 83. If you got them loose with all those accessories, 15 to 18 bucks. And also noted here in the comic books, they did change doc to a female in the Devil's Due comic series. I remember that, yeah. I almost forgot about that. Yeah, which... uh, It's kind of like your whole dial tone issue. Yeah, I don't know why they do that, but I guess it kind of works. She was kind of a hot, drawn cartoon. Uh, Yeah. But, I don't know. I I normally keep, you know, males, males, and females, females, but it it worked, I guess, until it got canceled. It changes in the real world, so, you know. Wow. (laughs) Not for me, but, you know, for some people. <laughs> for some people, yeah, sure. So, uh, number 37 for me was Darth Maul. Ooh, uh, I thought that would have been higher. I thought about putting him higher, but he kind of has a short career. <laughs> they do. Yeah. They did do a lot more in the extended universe with him, uh, the expanded universe, but, uh, yeah, in, in and out. Yeah, if you only know Darth Maul through just the movie, 
yeah. and relatively short. Like you said, only one appearance yeah. in the movie, but lasting impression. Yeah, definitely lasting impression. They've done a lot of books and comics based on him. His first appearance was the Phantom Menace movie. Right. He's played by stuntman Ray Park. Who played Snake Eyes yes. in The Rise of Cobra. There you go. It's all coming together. Uh, the concept went through many uh, iterations. Uh, concept artist Ian McCagg. If I'm mispronouncing your name and you're listening to this, I'm sorry. He concentrated on all sorts of helmet designs, trying to come up with some uh, with a mask look that would rival Darth Vader. He eventually adopted the concept he had for the senatorial characters uh, of paint and tattooed faces. So uh, he's a Zabrak race. Okay. He comes from Iridonia. You've got to start getting some of these funky names in G.I. Joe, because... <laughs> Columbus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, his devotion was so great to the Sith that he had Sith tattoos placed on over his entire body. Uh, he has a modified protocol droid that he made as an assassin. Wow. Named C-3PX. So not C-3PO, wow. but C-3PX. Uh, in the collected story uh, trade paperback Visionaries, which was only... It, didn't come out in individual issues. It only came out in a trade paperback form. Uh, there's actually a story of Darth Maul, which is one of my favorites in there, uh, in that collection, where Darth Maul returns after being cut in half. Oh. Uh, evidently, the dark side was able to keep him alive. And his lower half is now just a bunch of robotic legs. Uh, he actually comes to Tatooine, and Obi-Wan has to fight him to protect Luke. Yeah, so if you're into that, definitely pick up that trade. Yeah, trailer. it's a great, it's got a great storyline. See, I didn't even know that. I might have to pick that up. Yeah, then. or I can let you borrow it. Even better. <laughs> uh, in the end, it's Owen Lars who saves the day. Ah, Uncle Owen. Uncle Owen. Uh, he saves the day by taking out Darth Maul. He kind of shoots him, and he tell uh, while he's distracted fighting Obi Wan, and he tells Obi Wan that this uh, that this is the trouble he brings, and he wants him to stay away. So this is why uh, Luke didn't have any direct interaction with Obi-Wan. with Obi-Wan while he was growing up, which I thought was a great way Makes to sense. explain that. Yeah. Yes, so I love that. This is bringing violence to the farm. That's right. Uh, moving on, number 36, I have uh, G.I. Joe Ace, which is the fighter pilot that came with the Sky Striker I never got. <laughs> and I had, haha. <laughs> <laughs> uh, released as a figure in 1983, uh, Ace had a removable helmet. Uh, lo- easily lost piece as a child, you can imagine. So yeah, if you find I'm, one I'm sure the, I lost him. If you find one with the helmet on it, it's going to be pretty valuable. I probably lost um, Ace. So. Yeah. Ace really, he got use in the cartoon and a lot more in the comic books, just piloting the Sky Striker. Uh, if you want to pick up a Sky Striker now, mint in the box. <laughs> I should have held on to mine. <laughs> you're look, well, in the box. This is mint in the box. Right. You're looking at about eight twenty-five to $1,000. Nice. Yeah, if you're looking for just the Ace figure with the helmet, because he didn't come with any guns, to my knowledge. I don't believe he did. No, I don't think he did. Just the helmet. You're looking at about 8 to $10. So an easily obtainable figure. You can get the the Sky Striker loose, you know, used. You could probably pick that up, you know, half a grand. <laughs> yeah, way less than that. I would say under fifty dollars easily. Now, I think if I'm remembering right, the Sky Striker. Not that you'll be able to relate to this or, under, or be able to tell me for sure. Wow. But I think the Sky Striker had seats in it. It had two that had were loose. Yeah. And that was they the part ejected. I I hated about it because they never they never. Thick. They were never fixed in there. Right. They just came out because they were for ejecting purposes. They had two seats that came with a Sky Striker and both ejected and both had parachutes. Yep. And they were kind of like. They just, when you'd fly around, they just, the characters flew all around in their seats in there. Cockpit. 
I locked the cockpit down. <laughs> oh. But yeah, you could you could lock drop your the, cockpit down in a minute. Wow, let's not talk about my cockpit. <laughs> but you could drop your parachute, your, your figure with the parachute, and on top of the parachute, it had an eagle that said Sky Striker. So I'm be, pretty familiar with it. That'd be right. But I need it. <laughs> Got a grand? <laughs> I don't want it that way. I'll buy it loose for like forty bucks or something. All right, uh, my number thirty-six is uh, kind of an obscure character, Kier Kanos. Uh, his first appearance is in Crimson Empire number one. Okay. The Crimson our Star Wars version of the Crimson Guard, the Royal guess, yeah. the Royal Guard. I I thought about putting the Royal Guard on on there, but this was a more specific character, uh, and I definitely wanted them on my list because I, I just love that that look of the Crimson Royal Guard. Right. So. Right. The first miniseries was actually adapted into a full cast audio dramatization where Kirkanos is played by Patrick Coyle, whoever that is. If you're listening, sorry, don't, don't mean to disregard sorry, you. I don't mean to disregard you. Uh, a stalwart adherent to the tenets of the New Order, even long after the Empire had collapsed, Kyrkanos' beliefs made him one of the most deadly fugitives in the galaxy. Kanos was a member of the Emperor's Royal Guards. They guarded the galaxy's ruler. Uh, he was the best of his class. He expert in Ichani fighting form. So even getting funky names for their fighting styles. Uh, wields a force pike. And years after Palpatine's death, Palpatine returned in the form of a clone imbued with the dark side energies, and the Royal Guardsmen flocked to his side with renewed purpose. Uh, This return was not to last because Palpatine still died on Onderon. In an unthinkable display of treachery, it was a Royal Guardsman who was partially responsible for his demise, the treacherous Karnor Jax, uh, had betrayed his oaths and sabotaged Palpatine's clones. Uh, as the remaining royal guards gathered on Yichori, wow, wow, yeah, <laughs> to mourn the loss of their emperor, Jax uh, unleashed his stormtrooper forces. All but one guardsman was murdered, Kyrkanos. Wow. So he's the last the survivor. Last one, yeah. Uh, Kanos turned to vengeance. He was sickened by the self-styled Imperials who were but usurpers to the forgotten ideals of Palpatine. And Kanos targeted Jax, killing the traitor, but he became the enemy of the entire Imperial Council. Yeah, so if you only got one Imperial Guard figure, you know who it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, To better operate in the fringes of the galaxy, Kanos adopted the name Kennex Kill Ah. uh, and posed as a bounty hunter. Uh, Kanos' current whereabouts are unknown. They do have a figure of him. It's a Jedi, it's a two-pack, comic book two-pack, and I believe it comes with Karner... Jacks as well. Okay. So you can get both those figures. They have not made a figure of Kenix Kill version, which is a very different look for him, but really great storyline. Yeah, I know they did a figure two in the uh, Power of the Force. I have that one. Yeah. Um, and the older Star Wars. Yeah, so I, I love Kyrkanos. The, they did Crimson Empire, the Crimson Empire 2, and then there was a one shot called Bounty Hunter Kenix Kill. Oh, okay. So he, he appeared get quite a bit. Get your fill of the uh, Imperial Guard. There. That's right. All right, number 35 uh, for me is Ripcord. Okay. Now, Ripcord would have been a lot higher on the list if, if it had not screw been him up for, the, for movie. the rise of Cobra. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ripcord was first uh, originally released as a figure in 1984. He's the Halo Jumper, which stands for High Altitude Low Opening. To pick this car, guy up, Menton card now, it's about 105 to 140 Loose with all his accessories, 12 to $15. Uh, Ripcord had a prominent role in the early comic series from Marvel, he was uh, impersonating Zartan, so the Dreadnoughts thought he was Zartan, and Zartan was kind of impersonating him. Oh. So it was uh, pretty cool. Yeah, he did have some roles, kind of a 
background character, so to say, on the cartoon, but more into the comics. But with the new movie, what they did was they replaced an already established character and they changed his ethnicity. Yes. Uh, making him now African American, played by Marlon Wayans. Which had no problem with them using an African American character, but let's. There's, just, plenty, of, there's, there's plenty, plenty of Joes. There's plenty of already established. Yeah, there's yeah. plenty of Joes to name them after. Yeah, so. there's plenty already established. I think they maybe did that because they wanted him to fly, and he had to fly in the movie. Right, and they wanted to be PC. But yeah, I don't so, know. Who knows? So, whatever. Well, Ripcord's at number 35. Uh, number 35 for me, uh, Chuck's going to kill me for, but it's C-3PO. Oh my god, that low? <laughs> yes, that low. Uh, and, and you'll find out why. I searched a lot for major impact C-3PO himself had. Not so much R2-D2, but C-3PO had. They're like yin and yang. No, they're actually not. Oh my god. Uh, first appearance is uh, a New Hope movie. He had his own cereal, for Christ's sake. You put him at 35? He's uh, he's played by Anthony Daniels. Exactly. Of course. Uh, the earliest treatment of Star Wars didn't have the droid duo, but instead had a pairing of bumbling Imperial bureaucrats as comic relief. The inspiration for 3PO came from Fritz Lang's Metropolis. Those of you might know that, some might not. Uh, Daniels also voiced 3PO on radio dramas, certain audiobooks, and the droid cartoon series. Yes. So that was pretty cool of him. An earlier version of 3PO's life story was extrapolated by Brian Daly in a 1977 internal Lucasfilm interview. In it, Daly answered a number of questions as as 3PO. Here, the droid revealed that he believes he comes from the world of Afa, not Abba, Afa, not Abba. no, uh, where he was constructed in a robot factory about 112 years ago. That contradicts the movie. Yeah, well, they actually uh, found they've revealed that some of his parts have been okay. around for that long. So because in the movie, he doesn't like little Anakin build him up, right? But if you remember, his memory was also wiped in the movie, so That's he true. doesn't know where he came from. That's true. Three PO uh, thinks he had a string of forty-three owners before serving Captain Antilles aboard the Tantive Four. Wow. Uh, instrumental in gaining the Ewoks trust to help turn the tide in the Battle of Ventador. Exactly. Uh, Which was, should be higher on the list. But he was forced to be a translator for Java, so he's kind of a wussy. And <laughs> he translates what R2-D2 says so that others can understand his statements and comments. So he's R2-D2's lackey. Um, no, 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 no. Oh, no, he is. <laughs> no, no, you have it backwards. No, he is. No, you have it no, backwards. Because all he does without is... Without C-3PO... Here's what R2-D2 said. Without C-3PO, R2-D2 is a... No character because nobody ba- knows what he said. Basically, R two D. Basically, C three PO just took the place that he was already doing for R two when he was working for Java. Wow, he was Java's bitch. He's R two D. Oh bitch. wow, I am so beside myself. So, right anyways, thirty five C three PO. He was uh, built by Anakin, which showed his uh, which showed Anakin's ability to re- for repairing things. I can't breathe now. Three uh, PO was able to deceive the troopers in A New Hope to give them the freedom to later save Luke, Han, Leia, and Chewie from the trash compactor. Exactly. But let's remember who saved them from the trash compactor. But if he wouldn't have contacted... I understand. He had the calm link. This is why he's 35. And if he wouldn't have told... <laughs> oh, my God. If he wouldn't have told R2 to do it... To he would have been much lower on my list. Ouch. Favorite characters if he hadn't you done so certain things. I don't hate him. He's not on the list of top 50. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, number 34. Very underrated on that list over there. Number 34, we have the Dreadnought Ripper. Okay. Uh, released in 1985. Although released in 85, Ripper had... Ripper, I believe he still had a, a, a ball joint, but the other two Dreadnoughts, I believe, had the fins. Okay. Don't they quote were scheduled, me on that. But. Yeah, they were scheduled to be released in 84, but they were pushed to 85. Uh, Ripper is a Dreadnought, part of Zartan's gang. 
if you're looking to pick him up, uh, you're looking at about sixty to seventy-five dollars mint on card. Loose, he's about eighty to twelve dollars. Very prominent in the cartoons with Zartan and the right. Dreadnoughts. Dreadnoughts, right? Often very prominent in the car- comic books as well. Even comic books that were produced later on, I think by Image or Devils Do, I can't remember. I think it's Devils Do, where they actually had Dreadnought comics. So they give a little backstory on those guys. That's cool. Uh, I think I remember seeing some of those covers. I don't think I actually picked up those issues, but... I think I have them. Okay. I haven't read them in a while. Uh, my number 34, Jeriel. Okay. Again, if you listen to the last episode, I'm not going to go into huge detail with her, because I already did. First appearance was Knights of the Old Republic number 3 comic. She does appear on the cover of number 0, but she's not in the storyline until number 3. Uh, she's an Arcanian offshoot species and Force-sensitive. Again, I'm going to give you a little bit of information that I didn't cover last time. Uh, she had DNA of Jedi, Arca Jeth, who was the master of Ulic Keldroma, K. Keldroma, and the Twilight, Twilight, Twi'lek. Uh, not Twilight. Twilight, I hate Twilight. Twilight? Not Twilight, not the glittery vampires. The Twi'lek Tote Donita. Chica Bonita. Again, <laughs> again Arca Jeth is a major Jedi character that should be pretty familiar to those that have read the comics in the past. You get all the easy pronunciations here, right? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> placed in her... The DNA was placed in her before she was kidnapped by slavers 20 years before the Mandalorian War. Her tattoos are known as the Flames of the Crucible, uh, which was the slaver uh, organization that she was taken by, which bear the, the tattoo she has actually is the name Jeriel. Yeah, and you have a replica of that, don't you? Uh, no. Uh, no. I thought you did. No. Oh. <laughs> Whose ass uh, is that? <laughs> Which in Crucible means protector. Oh. Her birth name is actually Odessa. Odessa. Yeah. Uh, there, there's no uh, no figure of her. Oh, it's too bad. So, uh, yeah, take us to number thirty three for GI Joe. Uh, we have another dreadnought here. We have Buzzer, uh, released in uh, nineteen eighty five too. And again, Buzzer has the eighty four fin as a figure. It's one of Zartan's gang. He's a dreadnought. Again, same thing as Ripper. Pretty much they all kind of piled together. No real Dreadnought went off on their own. They kind of all stuck together as a gang. Uh, looking to pick him up, Mint on card, it's the same as Ripper. About 60 to 75 bucks. it'll set you back. But if you want to pick him up, Mint, he's uh, 8 to $12. And Buzzer was the one with the uh, chainsaw. Chainsaw, okay. Also, the Dreadnought's Buzzer was released as a single-carded figure earlier in the 2000 uh, or 2000 whatever release of the 25th anniversary later on way down the road there Torch and Ripper got their own single cards but Torch and Ripper were released as a two pack comic two pack okay but Buzzer was released single cardly earlier on in the line okay uh, my number 33 we'll try to speed it up maybe a little bit here just and I know I've been the one that's been the longer but uh, wow. to try to not have this be uh, a two-hour episode. Well, yeah, you I mean you got to give some backstory on some of yeah. these obscure characters. Um, is Nomi Sunrider, speaking of obscure characters. There we go. Uh, first appearance is Dark Horse Comics number seven. Uh, she's the wife of soon-to-be Jedi Andor Sunrider, uh, and her husband was killed while he was trying to deliver Adegan crystals to Master Thon. Not Thong. Master Thong? Not Thong. Thong, Thong, Thong. Uh, Master Sisko. She came to find out that she was strong in the Force, if not stronger than her husband. She used the lightsaber to cut down those that killed her husband. Most women think they are stronger right. than her husband. Well, she actually was. So. Okay. Yeah. Uh, she did use the, her husband's lightsaber, cut down the guys that killed him. After that, she feared using the weapon. Uh, she finished the delivery run that her husband was going to do, and Master Thong decided to train her because he sensed the Force in her. 
she found uh, he found out that she was very adept at Jedi battle meditation, which is being able to steer the uh, battle towards your side, which is why they say in Return of the Jedi, the Rebel Alliance one was because Emperor Palpatine was killed and he wasn't able to use the Jedi battle meditation anymore. Just one of the theories that was out there. Thawne reveals to her that her coming was foretold in at least one of the Jedi prophecies. She fell in love with Ulip Keldroma, but that didn't last very long because he started heading down the path of the dark side. Late At a later date, she helped with evacuating the Jedi libraries. Uh, she faced Ulip again, and after Ulip murdered his own brother, Nomi used the Force to cut Ulip from the Force altogether. Uh, she eventually, eventually dedicated her life to teaching her daughter Vima in the ways of the Force. Any figures? No figures of her. Right. Moving on to number 32, we have the final of the original three Dreadnoughts, uh, Torch. Okay. And if you'll notice, I grouped them all together. Makes sense. Makes sense. Torch uh, was the flamethrowing Dreadnought of the group, released in 85. Again, mint on cards, 60 to 75 bucks, and uh, Lou should look at about 8 to 12. Okay. Uh, anything else you want to say about him? That's <laughs> Torch. All the Dreadnoughts. They've already They're kind of the same, yeah. yeah. All the Dreadnoughts are the uh, Number 32 for me, Tusken Raiders. Ah. They moved up a bit in the list because of their impact on the story, so... Uh, first appearance, A New Hope, the movie. Yeah, you'll think they're a background character, but they're really not. Yeah, they're really not. Uh, they first appeared in the third draft of the Star Wars screenplay. Uh, concept artist Ralph McQuarrie fashioned the bandaged mask look uh, as a functional answer to desert survival in the dust storms. They're fearsome desert savages inhabiting the rock, rocky Judlin wastes. Tusken Raiders are the foremost reason Tatooine colonists do not wander far from their isolated communities. They're very territorial and xenophobic. They don't like outsiders. They don't like aliens. Um, Tusken Raiders will attack with very little provocation. They show no allegiance to even their native world mates. Mm. So they don't. If you're in a Tusken tribe and you see another Tusken tribe, you're going to get your ass handed to you. They will turn on you. Yeah. They will even attack Jawa scouting parties. So. Well, who don't? Exactly. Why you got to pick on the Jawas though? Uh, they have even gathered large numbers enough to attack the outskirts of small towns like Anchorhead. For transportation, they ride Banthas, and they travel in single file to hide their numbers. Sure. As mentioned in the movie. Yes. They, uh, this is the most interesting thing I found about them. They live a strictly ritualized life. Among their sacred tenets is a rich oral history told by a venerated raider known as the storyteller. The storyteller must recount the detailed Tuscan tradition verbatim wow. at each telling. It is considered blasphemy to botch a single word. Such a crime results in instant death. Wow. And an appointment of new of a new historian is That's given. That's close to a Jewish bar mitzvah. <laughs> Recite Torah word for word. I mean, basically with these guys, like, we would already be killed because, like, I couldn't tell the story properly, so yeah, you're dead. You're dead, yeah. So uh, they obviously played a major part in killing Anakin's mother. Right. Which kind of set everything down down the path it did, which is why I actually put them in there. They also play a major role in a character scene in both comics, in the, the comics Republic and Legacy, and I didn't go into too much detail because that's a character I'm going to mention later. Okay. Number 31. Uh, this character got a slight bump up because we'll go into that in a second here, but number 31 is Dr. Mindbender. Ah. Uh, the good doctor made his character appearance here in 1986 as a figure. He's the master of mind control. And to pick him up on card, you're looking at about fifty to seventy-five dollars loose, ten to twelve. And the reason he's a little higher on the list, and probably maybe some people think he should be, well, along with him and Destro, they help create Sepentor. Oh, okay. Yeah. So with the whole you know rise Sepentor rise, Which a big impact on the Carter, stories and everything. Yeah. yeah. So Doctor Mindbender made it to number thirty-one because of that. 
Uh, if you're looking to get that in comic book form, you're looking at probably issue number 49. Okay. Uh, where him and Destro are seen sneaking off with Mummy try to get some uh, DNA out of it. Very nice. To create Sepentor. Nice. And I like what they've been doing with him lately in the comics, so... Yeah, he also did make a brief appearance in the Rise of Cobra movie. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, very nice. And my number 31, Mace Windu. Mace! Uh, with Samuel motherfucking Jackson. <laughs> he probably should be higher on the list, but... I think he should be. But uh, he's not an overall favorite Jedi of mine. He should but... be higher than... It shouldn't be as high as C-3PO. C-3PO should be higher than him. No, I don't think so. Uh, first appearance is the Phantom Menace film. He's a senior member of the Jedi Council. He's been a member of the High Council since age 28. Oh, yeah. Uh, the na- name Mace Windu dates back to the earliest incarnation of Star Wars, the 13-page treatment written by Lucas in 1973. Wow. is where he's actually first mentioned uh, by uh, having a name. The initial design was based on island modeler Steve Applin's face. They th- everyone thinks it was automatically Samuel L. Jackson, but the original design and what he would look like was actually based on the, uh, a modeler. Samuel L. Jackson wasn't even casted yet. Oh, so wow. He's well-schooled in the Jedi philosophy and history. Only two opponents have ever bested him in lightsaber battles, Yoda mm-hmm. and Dooku. His fighting technique is called Vapod. Yeah, again, I got these <laughs> fucked up names I, I gotta deal with. I get mine Its aggressive nature uh, treads dangerously close to the dark side. Okay. Uh, so he's one of the only ones that have ever mastered it without turning to the dark side. Uh, he also has an ability called Shatterpoint, which allows him to see, see the weak points of opponents in everyday life. It also allows a Jedi to shatter otherwise unbreakable objects by channeling the Force. And if you remember, he did actually take down Palpatine, which Yoda wasn't even able to do. Yeah, but... But he got distracted by Anakin, got blasted out the and window. that's how he died. Right. Uh, but he did single-handedly defeat a droid force uh, in the Clone Wars cartoon from Cartoon Network, so that was pretty cool. Right, and many figures of him. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Uh, number 30, uh, may have a little controversy on this one here. I have Sergeant Slaughter. This is controversy, and should he even be on the list, or yeah, maybe, should he yeah. be higher? I, I think I think some people think he might not even be on the list. Some people think he should be higher. Uh, he's had some decent impacts, though, especially with the movie. The, right. The animated movie. The animated movie in 87, yeah. But Sergeant Slaughter is uh, the, the G.I. Joe uh, drill sergeant, right. drill instructor. Originally, in 1985, he was a mail-away figure. Mm-hmm. If you have that figure, you know, still in its little mail-away bag, you're looking at about 30 35 bucks. Uh, wow, I would have thought more. Nah, not really. Okay. Uh, there was a lot mailed out. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Overly produced. And if you have him loose uh, with his baton, you're about 12 to 15 bucks. Uh, he was the main character for Sergeant, Sergeant Slaughter's Slaughter's Marauders, obviously. Right. Released with the Sergeant Slaughter's Triple T tank in 1986. If you have that... Little single vehicle. It's a 135 to 185 wow. with the figure it meant in a box. If you have that particular figure lo- loose, it's about eight to ten dollars, which is not as much as the other one. Now the first release Sergeant Slaughter figure was in a black tank top and uh, black pants and had GI Joe down the side of the legs. Many people like the other one better, even though it's more mass produced because he had the black tank top and the camouflage pants right, on, right. which a lot of people saw in the cartoon, cartoon and right. identified with that figure more. So they released more of that figure, probably driving the price down on it. Now, 
I'm kind of hazy on this. Was the wrestler around first, or was the... The wrestler, yeah. Okay, the wrestler I thought was so. around first. That's what I thought. He kind of was in the later twilight of his wrestling career. Twilight again. Twilight. We might get some female fans because of Twilight. We're not talking about the movie. Yeah, he was in the, <laughs> the latter part of his wrestling career when he decided to join G.I. Joe and become the drill instructor. Okay. In the cartoons used a lot, not so much in the comics. Maybe there was some uh, reason he couldn't be legally... But little known fact here, Sergeant Slaughter wasn't the first choice to be the G.I. Joe Hulk Hogan? Rocky Balboa. Oh, wow. Rocky Balboa was actually mentioned in one of the comics as the G.I. Joe trainer. trainer. But Stallone wouldn't release his likeness to, for a figure to be made and wanted that retracted. Oh, so wow. if you actually have one of those G.I. Joe yearbook comic books that has Rocky Balboa in it... It's worth a lot. Yeah, I've got one. Nice. I'll have to see that sometime. Yeah, I'll maybe, show it to you. Maybe sneak that out. Uh, <laughs> it's not worth that much. <laughs> all right. Number 30 for me is uh, Quinlan Voss, okay. uh, who's also a Jedi. First appearance is the Phantom Menace film, uh, believe it or not. Uh, in the scene where Jar Jar is attacked by Sabalba in the streets of Tatooine, Voss can be seen in the background. Now, this is kind of a retcon thing they did. Okay. Because this character was not known at the time by name, but Dark Horse used the character template when they were creating their character for their comic series of Voss. So look for him in the movie. Right. And fans established that Voss was probably on a secret mission when he appeared in the movie. He lost his parents at a young age to murder by the vampire-like Anzadi species, which, right. remember, I mentioned them earlier. Right. He had the ability to touch objects and read psychic imprints from them. He was trained on his home planet to be a Jedi, but his sister didn't uh, did not approve of the Jedi's involvement, so she wanted to taint her brother with the dark side. She had him touch the emblem uh, his mother wore when she was murdered, and he experienced firsthand what his mother felt. And for three days, he screamed in horror. Wow! Due to this, he was taken from his home uh, planet, and he was uh, so he wouldn't be influenced by that. He uh, returned home often and took the uh, took on a Padawan. Upon reaching knighthood, uh, Ayla Sakura, who oh. had been mentioned before. Mentioned earlier, yeah. Uh, but uh, both he and Ayla were drugged and robbed of their memories on Narshada. They were left to die, but the Force helped save them. But without his past experience, he was more susceptible to the dark side. Uh, he teamed up with a Devronian uh, bounty hunter named Vilmar Grark. Uh, Grark. <laughs> These names are killing me. I think they make him up. Uh, I know they make him up. <laughs> they had many adventures, and Voss came close to the dark side many times. Oh. So he was kind of one of those characters that kind of walked the Walk fence the line. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. In the home stretch here. Yeah, got 10 more characters total. Now we're stopping at 26, right? Yes, we're stopping at 26. Right. So whatever. whatever. Right, we're on 29. Yeah, I know we're on Home 20. stretch. All right. All right. So whatever. 29 for G.I. Joe, we have CoverGirl. Okay. Uh, released in 1983 with the Wolverine uh, attack vehicle. She's the Wolverine driver. Uh, if you're looking to pick that up, men in box, you're going to drop out 400 to 475 on that. Sweet. I know. <laughs> I'm going to go buy one now. But if you want the figure loose, you're looking about 12 to 15 bucks. A lot of different things about CoverGirl here. Uh, number one was, I guess... She was hot. She was hot, yeah. The <laughs> hair color on the figure was a, a reddish auburn color, and in the... The cartoon was more of a either sometimes it was blonde, sometimes it was brown, depending. Yeah. In the movie, she was blonde. Yeah, and died. And died. Yeah. Spoilers. Spoilers for <laughs> there. Yeah, and she's blonde in the movie. Died. And also in the cartoon, uh, she kind of saves uh, the day because Timber smelled some kind of gas coming from the little 
containers Snake Eyes brought back and from the crystals for the mass device. Timber's and, often smelling gas from Snake Eyes. Of course. Of course. But yeah, still CoverGirl. Uh, she's in the new comics through IDW, which she's starting to become a more prominent character yeah, in that. She seems more of a kick-ass character in the new comics. Like, Yeah, yeah. They're using her a lot more. They're taking, I think they're taking up some of these old, obscure characters and giving them a more revamp. Which I'm all for. But the reason they called her CoverGirl because she was a model. Right. And which is why she was be, hot. Right. Supposed to be really attractive looking. And she's a G.I. Joe. Right. All right. Uh, number 29. General Grievous. Grievous, yes. Gotta like him. First appearance was Star Wars Clone Wars Chapter 20 cartoon. Okay. So that was even before the movie came out. Uh, the model for Grievous was one of the most complicated ILM ever created. Hmm. Uh, Grievous was a voice by supervising sound editor Matthew Wood. So again, if you're on the staff... You might get a job. You might get a job. Uh, before rebuilt as a cyborg warrior, General Grievous was one of the greatest military masterminds of the Kalish people. And he'll tell you. That's right. From the harsh world of Kali, the Kalish had conquered the land and seas of their planet and displayed pride in their superiority by wearing masks cobbled from the bones of their most feared animals. Wow. Uh, He became a cyborg after suffering fatal injuries from a shuttle crash, which was an act of sabotage. Mm -hmm. Uh, He collects lightsabers from those Jedis he defeats, uh, and we know he was defeated by Obi-Wan Kenobi in the movies. Also, his origin story is in that Visionaries trade that I was telling you about. Okay. That's the last story in that trade. So, again, that trade is pretty sweet. Darth Maul and Grievous, so definitely pick that up, guys. Yeah. Uh, moving on, number 28, uh, definitely a lot of figures of Grievous. Oh, yeah, a lot of figures of Grievous, including uh, a Force Unleashed one. So. There was even a Toys R Us special Grievous hologram figure. Yes. so I do not have that. Yeah, it's pretty cool looking. I don't have it either, but I've seen it. I'd like to. <laughs> You'd like to see it or like to get it? I'd like to get it. Right. Uh, number 28 for G.I. Joe, we have Rakondo, the team's jungle trooper, uh, released in 1984. Uh, he's also a member of the Tiger Force, so he's one of those Tiger Force repaints. He actually came with the repaint of the... Dragonfly. Oh, okay. So that's how you got him as part of the Tiger Force. Right. It wasn't while Bill was Rikondo piloting that chopper. Uh, if you're looking to get Rikondo, since he was a 1984 release, it's about 105 to 140 on the card. Loose is about 10 to 12 bucks. Uh, actually, Rikondo was the second G.I. Joe I ever got. Wow. I don't think I ever owned him. I liked him. There I were three different versions of the camouflage paint on his pants. Okay. Some of it was a little thinner, light green, some was thin, dark green, and some was. More of a wider green colored okay. camouflage pants. So, uh, my number twenty eight was IG eighty eight. Ah, uh, bounty hunter. Bounty hunter. Love the bounty hunters. First appearance, Empire Strikes Back movie. Get off the damn Jedi's. That's right. <laughs> well, you want some bad guys? I got some bad guys. The bad guys appear higher on my list. You should be happy about that. Good. I am. Originally referred to as a Chrome War droid in the script, uh, the mechanical puppet Empire incorporated a number of recycled props from A New Hope. Oh. In fact, one of them that's pretty funny is its head was first seen as a drink dispenser in the most icely cantina. <laughs> Gotta like that. Look for that. That's right. Uh, he first uh, he appeared in one episode of the cartoon Droids. Okay. Uh, the scientists at Halloween Laboratories uh, could not have been more naive. Uh, the short-sighted droid developers under the auspices of the Imperial Supervisor Gurdon traded caution for ambition when developing Project Flute Droid. Flute Droid. Within seconds of the activation, the new generation of combat droid IG-88 achieved sentience and ran amok, slaughtering all of the scientists. Well, you'll have that. <laughs> when your droid creation runs amok, you're bound to be killed. That's right. 
after activating and downloading his consciousness into three mechanical clones, IG-88 was able to quickly spread his brand of mayhem across the galaxy. The four mechanical mechanical uh, components were IG-88A, B, C, and D. They all uh, shared the cold, calculating consciousness bent on destruction and domination. IG-88B was destroyed by Boba Fett when he followed Fett to Cloud City to try to get Han Solo. Mm-hmm. Uh, IG-88C was destroyed by Fett when he tried to take him down over Tatooine. And uh, in his ship, the IG-2000, that's his ship's name, Okay. Uh, Fett shot him down instead. Uh, IG-88D was destroyed by Dash Rendar on Ord Mantell. Uh, and IG-88A crafted his sentience into a computer core, which was implanted into the second Death Star. And he became the second Death Star. Oh. Uh, but was destroyed over the Battle of Endor, obviously. Obviously, yeah. Uh, the shell of IG-88A is still around, but reprogrammed as a bodyguard. <laughs> so he actually, I was going to put him a little farther down the list, but when I found out he was the Death Star... <laughs> you got to move him up. you got to move him up. <laughs> All right, moving on to number 27, I have uh, Mutton Junkyard. Nice, love Mutton Junkyard. Which was a figure and a pet animal. Yep. So he was the dog handler of the canine of the group here, released in 1984 figure-wise. If you're looking to pick him up, mint on card, a very popular figure, about 105 to 140 loose with the dog and all the accessories with Junkyard, 12 to $15. And he's also a part of Slaughter's Marauders. Think about Mutt and Junkyard. Mutt is actually the name of the human. Junkyard is actually the name of the dog, right. if you don't know that. And Mutt, the figure of the human, acts more like a dog, a canine, as opposed to the canine itself. So, right. Yeah. Very popular and in that- the... Uh, and it helps in the bond. You know? Yeah, it helps us out. Pretty popular. He had a couple of appearances in the Sunbow cartoon series. Briefly in the comics, though, briefly. Yeah. I almost felt like when I watched uh, the animated G.I. Joe movie, I felt like when they did Law & Order, it was almost to try to replace Mutt and Junkyard. A lot of times you'll see that where they're just replacing the toys. They're trying to get rid of the old and bring in the new. Right. So, so Transformers is pretty popular for that. Yeah, absolutely. Number 27 for me is a character named Kyle Katarn. His first appearance is in Dark Forces, the video game. It's a first-person shooter. Okay. He was originally voiced in the first uh, game by actor Nick Jameson. For the second is that game... Jenna's brother? No. Damn it. Pretty sure it's not. I don't know. I don't, it could be. We'll, um, think, we'll say it is. Just we'll say it is, yeah. Sure. Just, yeah. Might be spelled different. I don't know. For the second game, cutscenes were filmed with actual actors, and Kyle was played by actor Jason Court. At the same time as the games... Three hardcover books came out which fleshed out the stories from the games. And I actually have all three of those books. Nice. They are great. Kyle Katarn was an elite rebel agent entrusted with some of the most crucial missions of the Rebel Alliance. It was, uh, and this is why he's pretty high up on my list because I would have put him down, but it was Katarn that single handedly infiltrated an Imperial installation on Danuta, securing the technical plans of the Empire's Death Star battle station. So he's the guy who got the plan. Yes, he's the guy that got the plan. So he was gotta, pretty much released in gotta, the movie and never said it. Yeah, got to bump him up a bit. So right. he's a former Imperial. While he was at the Academy, Kyle's family was killed and was reported, and it was reported that Rebels did it, but Kyle learned the truth from a Rebel agent. His father was killed by the Empire for treason. Uh, Kyle was, uh, had Force abilities, which uh, started to show, and eventually accepted tutelage at Luke's uh, new Jedi Academy. Okay. Obscure character, but, but definitely obviously relevant. very important. Yeah, really, really relevant. Uh, this brings us to our last one of this episode. Character number twenty-six for, you. for me. Yeah, <laughs> we have uh, the enemy, 
which is just the run-of-the-mill basic generic Cobra soldier. Is that the Cobra of the enemy? Cobra when they the say enemy. in the intro of the cartoon? Exactly. It's the Cobra soldier, okay. uh, originally released in 1983. Basically, if you're looking to pick him up, because as I said, a lot of troop builders pick him up on the cards, 140 to 190. He was released in 1982 also as a straight-arm version. So some of the 82 releases got re-released in 83. 83 is the swivel arms when they got that going on. And he was also re-released as part of the Python Patrol, that Battle of the Tiger Force. But basically he's your run-of-the-mill generic Cobra soldier. Cobra grunt. Cobra grunt. The lowest of the food chain here. But uh, you got to love him for that because exactly. you, you have to have them. Yeah, he's very necessity. So you need him to carry out everything here. And also released in 1982 as part of the Cobra Missile Command headquarters, which was a Sears exclusive toy-wise. That came with uh, the Cobra Commander, the Cobra Officer, and Cobra Soldier. Okay. Uh, before I get to my last one, which I think will be a very good one to, la- to end on, I did want to mention IG-88 obviously has had plenty of figures. Of course, uh, yeah. In fact, they had IG-86s, which appear in the Clone Wars right. cartoons now. And Kyle Katarn actually did have a figure made of him, oh. uh, which is in the comic two-pack that comes with the Yuzan Vong. Yuzan Vong. Yuzan Vong. So my number 26 is, uh, I think this will be a great one to end on, is Jabba the Hutt. Jabba the Hutt. Gotta love Jabba. His full name, again, screwing me over here, <laughs> Jabba Desiligic Tior. Hey, Jabba the Hutt works. Yeah, I, I think that's how you pronounce it. I don't know. It's a mouthful. Uh, his first appearance was... what she said. Yeah. This is the one time I'm going to mention him appearing in a book rather than the movie, because his first appearance was actually in a New Hope novel. Okay. The, he appeared in the novel. He was supposed to appear in New Hope the movie, but didn't. Didn't, yeah. Uh, originally, Jabba was to be a massive slug-like creature, which obviously that stuck, with eyes extended on feelers and a huge ugly mouth. Right. So... Kind of kept everything except for the eyes on the end of feelers. But didn't they reinsert them in the movie? They did. Okay. But when you're talking first appearance... Okay, yeah. I'm not talking about the remade movie. The remake that right. digitally CGI'd Right, up exactly, which looked like shit. Uh, so anyway... <laughs> feel? Uh, this It just didn't look like the Jabba from Return of the Jedi. No, it so, did It uh, did He obviously added weight on since then. Right. And then he lost the guy. I don't know. So anyways, the this, uh, the scene in A New Hope was filmed with a stand-in actor, uh, Declan Mulholland. Even with n- normal names, they're screwed up names. Mulholland. And I apologize, Mr. Mulholland. But uh, uh, in the comics adaptation, the scene in A New Hope was left in originally... But Jabba is a tall humanoid with a walrus-like face, yeah. a top knot, so the funky hairstyle, right. and a bright uniform. Jabba gained an, the extra T in his name, Hut, in Empire Strikes Back. Uh, this is in the comic version. Okay. So, kind of, obviously that was retconned and everything else. Uh, in Return of the Jedi, Jabba is controlled by three puppeteers, David Barclay, Toby Philpot, and Mike Edm- Edmonds, and Edmonds controlled the tail. Edmonds also played Low Gray the Ewok, the medicine man. Oh, okay. Uh, Jabba's father is Zorba. Uh, by age 600, Jabba the Hutt w- uh, was a force to be reckoned with. The Black Sun or- that long, huh? yeah. The Black Sun organization ruled the core planets, but Jabba ruled the outer rims. Ah. Jabba's deceptiveness was legendary among his throng. For instance, when he chose to hire the Gamorreans, so going back to the Gamorreans, uh, as his enforcers... He had to follow Gamorrean tradition and best the pig-like warriors in combat. But don't think that Jabba actually was fighting, because uh, a dozen Gamorreans was more than he cared to handle. So instead, Jabba challenged the dim-witted pig guards to blindfolded combat. 
claiming that he could defeat all of them. Uh, the guards accepted, and once they were blindfolded, 20 of Jabba's armed henchmen brutally attacked the Gamorreans. Ah. When the dust cleared, the blindfolds were revealed, and Jabba, bearing cosmetic scars, claimed victory. The Gamorreans, in, uh, including Ortug the Axeman, served him loyally ever since. So he basically bullshitted them. Cheated. And, yeah, <laughs> he cheated them. And, and also Jabba's had many figures made. Oh, a lot of figures. Um, I still like the original one. The original one. one was the best from the uh, Kenner Star Wars. And I have yeah. that still in the box. You bastard. Yes, I got it for 20 bucks. <laughs> yeah, there was another one, uh, Power of the Force, that came with Han Solo. And there's a new one out now, but it, it and they look like the new version, crap, and he looks yeah. like crap. So, uh, so that's our our uh, list from number fifty to number twenty six. Part one, part two, to part follow. One. Yeah, part one uh, or part two will actually appear two weeks from now. Yep, and we will count down to number one. I hope you guys like this. It might be uh, a week from now since you're listening to this. Yeah, uh, well, the oh, next one. Yeah, who when knows? we get around to it, who knows? It depends on when I release this one. So, uh, but I hope you like the list. Uh, Chuck and I love making lists. So give us some feedback on it. Think who should be there, who should not be there. Who we put on the list? Who you think absolutely did not need to be on the list? Right. Yeah. Especially once this is all done. Who like, should move up higher? Yeah. Once once this is all completed, uh, create your own list. Certainly, let us know if we left somebody off that you think we should have put or who shouldn't have been on the list. Uh, your yeah. list C three PO should C three PO should have been a lot higher. Well, I think maybe some fans will agree with me. If I'd have known that, I'd have dropped Flint down to forty nine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, with that, uh, we're going to end this episode, and uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Again, contact us at uh, StarJoesPodcast at gmail.com. Go to StarJoes.com to find our episodes. Uh, also iTunes, look at our figures. Facebook. iTunes, Facebook, we're out there. There's links actually to our Facebook uh, on our website. You can also find us on the comic forums with the which is thecomicforums.com. Uh, but you can also find us at the forums just through the link that's on our website. So email us, contact us, let us know what you think. And with that, uh, just want to close by saying uh, the Force, of course, is with you because... Knowing us is half the battle. And there you go. Take care, guys. See ya. Just using common sense. BJ! Cross country! That was a close call. You alright? Yeah, thanks. These ATVs have as much power as a real motorcycle. You gotta respect them. And wear helmets for protection. Yeah, we know. And no one is half the battle. Yeah.